to Cofield and Company. For me personally, how I quote, how I deal with it was that I know every single person asking me a question can't play as well as I can and never will. So no matter what you say or what you write, you'll never light a candle to me. So that's how I deal with it. Um, but each person deals with it differently. On the way back there. Right. Hey, if that gets you through it, if you need to uh, look down on the media people who are asking you questions, you can do that. It's a little bit childish, but hey, if that's a way to cope, I get it. I get it. Uh, the funny thing with uh, all this Naomi Osaka stuff that came out, you, you find out just how uh, some athletes and fans and sports onlookers view the athlete media relationship as totally adversarial, which I've never felt that way on the media side, but uh, some people out there feel like they've been done wrong and they don't like the uh, the scenario. So we'll see if a good discussion comes out of this and some changes are on the way. A lot of big basketball news today. Uh, we were blown away early in the day by the surprise retirement of Danny Ainge. We'll get into that in a couple minutes, but now we've got another one of the Old timer coaches, one of the legends of the game, Roy Williams walk. We, you know, during the season, we talked about the struggles, some of the other guys exploding, you know, Bayheim acting like a child at times. Izzo was struggling. And uh, now Coach K is going to walk. Mike Krzyzewski is done at 74 years old, but he's going to be done after this year. Uh, Joe Esposito is our coach here on Cofield and Company and gives us a couple of minutes as he does every Wednesday. What's up, Coach? What's going on, my friend? A whole lot. A whole lot. I was expecting to talk uh, mostly college basketball with you today, but we got a lot of NBA stuff to get into, and we will start in college hoops. Uh, you're not surprised that Coach K is walking away, right? You know, I'm not really. I'm not too surprised because now it seems like it's that time where some of them are starting. You know, Roy Williams goes, and that was two months ago, and it seems like uh, Coach K, you know, he does have a pretty big ego, so I, I wouldn't think that he would just quit and leave. He's going to want that send-off in those rocking chairs and – get those commercials and everything else, but he deserves it. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, uh, just because after the way the season went last year, I thought he'd want to go out and it was a bang and, and try to rebuild that thing. But it looks like they're in pretty good shape. they got a great recruiting class come in. So it's gonna it's, it's kind of a down thing for college basketball because we're losing some of these great legends. I would expect, and I'm being a bit sarcastic here, I would expect a place like Duke to go and make a run at Chris Beard and Jay Wright and Mark Few and Scott Drew and other guys who are top 10 coaches in the country. But we know at some of these places, didn't happen in Arizona. We know at some of these places, Joe, they like to stay in the family. North Carolina did it with Hubert Davis. I uh, was also considering Wes Miller, another North Carolina guy. And uh, Duke has a lot of ex-players who are coaches. Uh, many have gone out and coached elsewhere. Some have done well. Some have not done so well. And it looks like it's actually going to be a guy on the bench in – John Shire, one of the younger guys, is going to take over for Shashevsky. What do you know about him? Do you like the choice? Well, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, whatever was going to happen when Coach K was going to go ahead and retire, you know he was going to place the next guy. I mean, that was going to be a fact. I mean, he, there's no way that they're not going to have him choose the person that's going to follow him. So I always thought it would be somebody like a Tommy Hamaker. Um, You know, I thought it would be somebody with a little more experience that has had some college experience. You know, whether it's Jeff Capel, you know, whether it's uh, somebody that's a little bit older that had, had more experience. But, 
you know, um, John Shire, he's 33 years old. He's been on the bench for eight years at Duke. Um, he made him the associate head coach in 2018. And that kind of told a lot of people right there when he announced him as associate head coach that he felt like he was probably going to be his predecessor. You know, predecessor. So I think that's what kind of happened. But, you know, what a, what a hard job to follow. When you look at the winningest coach in college basketball, he's got a 1,170 wins, five national titles, 12 Final Fours. I mean, the list goes on and on, 18 lottery picks. That's a hard guy to, to replace. And I don't know, to be honest with you, um, I don't know if anybody can beat that win record. When you look at the closest guy right now is Beheim, who's 208 behind him. That means Beheim's going to coach 10 more years. There's no way he's coaching 10 more years. And then the guys after that, you look at Calhoun, he's already done. Roy Williams is done. Uh, Bobby Knight is done. And, and Huggins. Huggins is at 900 wins. He would need 270. That's another 10 more years at least. And that's if he averages 27 wins a game. I mean, I'm sorry, a year. I, I don't know if that record's going to be broken for a long time. So I would never think that they would go outside the family, just like North Carolina. There's no way Chris Beard's a fit at Duke. There's no way Mark Fuse a fit or Scott Drew. They're going for a Dukey, and that's the way it's going to be. And I guess it's, it's, a, it's a good fit for them, and the fans will for sure be happy. Joe, amongst coaches, when you guys talk about Shashevsky, is there one thing you talk about him from a like a basketball principal standpoint, a, a point, or a a program management standpoint? I feel like every coach has some kind of calling card, and they're like, "Yeah, Coach K came up with that," or Knight came up with that, or this is the way Roy Williams did it. Yeah, you know, one of the things people talk about with Coach K is that he curses a lot. I mean, I think <laughs> that's the biggest thing everybody doesn't know. Like, he's got an incredible man. You go to his practice, boy. Woo, he lights it up, but. I think, I think with him, the thing that he's been able to do in his 41 years of coaching is he's been able to adjust with the times. The way he started coaching at Army and the way he started at Duke, terrible at Duke, they wanted to fire him, and how he stuck to his principles, he stuck to the things that he knows was going to get him to where he could be, and how he adapted to the different student-athletes. There's a lot of coaches that are older that can't make that adapt um, to the new athlete, to the kids of today, to the kids with social media, with the kids with all these pressures that they have with them. The game is so different now than it was 20 years ago. Even for me, coming from when I started back in 1987 to where I am now, the players have just changed. I think the one thing that coaches will always say about him is he has been able to adapt, fit in. Maybe one of the reasons is he does a great job dyeing his hair. He looks young. He feels young. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. He really has done an incredible job. And I say, and this is going out there now, when you look at a guy like John Wooden, who's won 10 national championships, I think Coach K is the best coach to ever coach the game. And the reason I say that is because he's been able to adapt. And secondly, John Wooden won at UCLA. And, it, and some of those championships he, he won, nobody had scholarships but UCLA. Nobody wanted to go anywhere but UCLA. He built Duke into something special. And what he did there is remarkable. And uh, we're losing a great one in the game. And college basketball has really, really lost some really great coaches. And it's starting to, it's starting to just change. The game's changing. A lot of young coaches coming up the ranks. But that's expected, and now's the time it's happening. Joe, one of the other things, uh, you know, when you shake the fist at the sun, kids have changed these days. Players have changed these days. And coaching philosophies have changed these days in the NBA. Are you comfortable watching some of these series where – Teams go into a game and they know they're beat up and they're like, "Bad, you know, this is not going to be our night." And you can see it from the beginning, or hey, you get two and a half quarters in and they're like, "Hey, this isn't going to work out tonight. 
let's just freaking you know mail it in the rest of the game. It's a weird deal, isn't it, to get used to as a coach that there's certain games where you just throw your hands up and you're like, we're out. Yeah, it's incredible, and it's just sad because some people, you know, like young people are watching these games. Like last night, it just killed me when LeBron James walked out of the gym, walked out of the arena with five minutes to go in the game. Yeah, the game was over, but why aren't you there supporting your team? It wasn't like Chris Paul who got hurt in the game or, or Anthony Davis who got hurt the game before. He just walked out of there. Yeah, his ankle, I don't care if your ankle hurts or what hurts. You're out there to support your teammates and stick through the thick and thin. I thought last night that was a big a big X mark against him. I thought that was terrible. Um, but going back to the NBA, and the NBA is just a different game. I mean, it's really sad when that happens. I don't think you see it as much in the playoffs. You've seen some incredible runs. You've seen teams like the Clippers, who Snoop Dogg today tweeted out that they're the best team in L.A., and mm-hmm. L.A. is taking a lot of heat. But they also lost Anthony Davis. Granted, they got beat pretty bad by Phoenix last night, but they lose Anthony Davis, and losing him is a lot you're talking about one of the better players in the NBA and somebody that LeBron needs out there for LeBron to have the great success that he's been having. So long story short, the game has changed. It's just sad when you see teams give up. But uh, I think the playoffs so far have been really good. These first couple series, Atlanta and New York, I mean, the Denver, uh, the crazy game last night with Portland. I mean, you look at all these games, there have been some really good basketball games. Joe Esposito, the coach, is with us here on Cofield and Company on a Wednesday. Uh, this one was shocking today, and I think there's a lot more that's going to come out with Danny Ainge. I think it sucks that Danny Ainge is moving on. I'm not a Boston guy. I don't like Boston. I don't like the fans. Um, in a way, I'm kind of happy because I think this – I don't think it'll turn into a disaster. But this is a big loss. You lose Danny Ainge, and then now Brad Stevens is going to move off the bench. I mean, I, I, I don't understand any of this. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things – Brad Stevens, who – has done a really, really good job as an NBA coach. You know, 354 wins, 282 losses, three trips in the last four years to the Eastern Conference Finals. Just done a fantastic job. And from what I've heard from other coaches in the inside, is that he's just tired. I mean, I think the, the uh, bubble that he had to deal with with the COVID, you know, he does have a young family. I think all those things, the time, um, dealing with the egos in the game. You know, he's a real calm guy. He's a business-type guy. Um, I think he'll be fantastic in that position of making decisions. He'll still be around the game. I think he'll be one of those, you know, operations guys that's going to be around the practices and around the games, just kind of like Danny Ainge did. I mean, Danny Ainge made some big moves for the Celtics and got them in a real good situation. But now the replacement of him is going to be the interesting thing. You know, where are they going to go? I mean, you hear about so many uh, guys out there like the Jason Kidd and the Sam Cassells and the Chauncey Billups. Darvin Ham, who is a Texas Tech grad and a guy that I know, and, and even maybe if they go for a woman, you know, can they possibly go with Becky Hammond? I mean, that could happen. I firmly believe that because Brad Stevens had all that success and he came from college, I think they're going to take a swing at another college guy like a Jay Wright or Jawan Howard. And don't be surprised if Slick Rick, Rick Pitino, doesn't show back up in Boston. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. You just never know. Oh, my God. Uh, Interesting story on ESPN.com today talking about the NBA draft and how, you know, players do well in the NBA and all of a sudden the draft becomes a a copycat look. So we're seeing guards who are, you know, around 6'1", 6'2", like John Morant and Trey Young, maybe not two-way players, a little bit slight in terms of build. They're excelling right now. Will that seep into the mindset of teams drafting? Will they go for smaller guards? 
uh, you know, the kid from Oral Roberts or Sharif Cooper? Are they going to go for guys kind of in that 6364 range, you know, a big strong guy like Davion Mitchell or Jalen Suggs, or is it Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham who are freaks who could probably play the point at you know six 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 seven? Yeah, you're making a lot of good points there. And I'll tell you, you know, Trey Young, remember now, he's drafted back in 2018. He went to a bad team. Um, he was a sixth pick. He's now 23 years old, matured in the NBA. Everybody thought he couldn't make it, possibly because of his size. Everybody worried about his athleticism. I mean, he's not going to catch the ball and dunk it like a, a Jawo, you know. Um, he was in that draft with Aiton, who, you know, is doing great things in Philly. Uh, I'm sorry, not in Philly, in Phoenix. He was in the same draft with Luca. He was in the same draft with Jaron Jackson, who's with Memphis right now. So he's a guy that uh, got in a good good situation. Trey got in a good situation where he could get a lot of time early, and it's really shown up, you know, shown up for him, especially with that floater game. And then John Morant, you know, he, he's just a guy that you know is so athletic and just plays so hard and just love with the rim and so athletic. And he was in that draft, you know, he was the second pick behind Zion, so. You know, who's had a better career so far? I mean, you can flip a coin. Uh, he definitely probably had the better of a careers at this point. And then R.J. Barrett was the third pick. So I think what you're saying is true, that the NBA draft does kind of look at stuff and say, who's going to make an impact? Last year's draft, Anthony Edwards, you know, he had a decent year, but Minnesota's not in there. Wiseman had a good year. Golden State's not in there. The only guy that's really still playing now is Obi Toppin, who was the fifth pick, and he's with the Knicks. But Cade Cunningham, to me, is a guy that I think could take Houston and move them up the ladder. Now, a lot of times, you know, these good players get drafted on bad teams. The other guy is Jonathan uh, Kaminga, I, I, um, you know, who we know very well. Obviously, at Vegas fans know very well because his brother played at UNLV. He's a guy that could possibly go to Cleveland. Cleveland's pretty close to getting to where they need to go. He might be able to make an impact right away. But the Jalen Greens, the Jalen Suggs, the Evan Mobleys, it's going to take them time. Um, you know, to get going and to get to where these guys are. So, with the NBA, it's pretty much look, look at Kobe Bryant when he started. The NBA takes a little time to get the adjustment, the, the whole deal about playing so many nights and so many days. And uh, but I do think you're going to see a lot more in the game change. And I think the floater is the part of the game that we talked about last week, where Trey Young has really started to change how guards play. Last uh, last one, Joe. Uh, Joe Esposito's with us, the coach. He's up on Cofield and Company. So let's go back to where we started, a little college basketball. Uh, this one came down on Friday. Uh, we talked on Wednesdays. So I want your reaction to, uh, is it a shocker? Bryce Hamilton, if he doesn't get drafted in the NBA, has said he's out of the portal. He's coming back to UNLV. It's a unique situation. How many times does a guy essentially go into the portal, come back to his school, then he almost has a brand new squad, Joe? The entire, Almost the entire roster is new. Yeah. I think it's crazy. I think for him, it's kind of been. I don't think he has anywhere to go. I think he's just got to go back home. I mean, I think he's one of those kids that wants to run away, and then he gets to cross the street. He realizes mom and dad told him he can't cross the street, and he turns around and comes right back to the house. I mean, I think the situation that he's in, I think he had nowhere to go. He's not an NBA player. I don't know if he will be an NBA player. Hopefully, he'll develop to be one because he's a great young man. But I, I just don't know. I mean, I think that he's going back to a new place. Maybe he could fit in with that team. Maybe, you know, uh, Kruger feels like he's a guy that can help them score, which he can. They probably need some help because some of those guys they signed, I don't think can really help right away. So I think that'll be interesting. But the last thing I got to tell you is Damian Lillard's 55 points. Who cares? Who cares? They lost. I mean, he played 52 minutes. It was a double overtime game. Now, he did make some big shots. 
that three yeah. to tie the game with three seconds, the three in the second overtime. Best player of the game was no question Nikola. His team wins. He goes 38 points, 11 rebounds, nine assists. Denver. Denver's my squad. Let's go. Damn. Joe dropping the hammer. All right, Joe. Have a good week. We'll talk to you. Hey, cheer for those Knicks tonight. Come on. Cheer for those Knicks. Not a chance in hell, my friend. Not a chance in hell. Joe's gone. I'm a Nets fan. Sorry. I'm a Nets fan. I was at the game. Hey, I'm a huge Mets fan. I was at the last No, 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 Mets fan. Nets, 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 Nets. Oh, you said Nets. I'm saying New York's team. New York's team. New Jersey's team. The Nets. N-E-T-S. Nets. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I am too. I am too. But I'm a Knicks fan. Diehard Knicks. Anyway, right, Joe, we'll I got to get, get off the show before I get in trouble, and uh, I know. You know, I'll say something crazy. I can't wait to talk to you next week. All right, see you, Joe. Same here. Yeah, Nets, Nets. Come on, Nets. Lifelong Net fan. I, I, I was. I always knew that uh, you know this gritty, gutty team with Harden and KD and Kyrie would get it done. Gritty, gutty, gritty, gutty, gritty, gutty. Uh, speaking of, who wants to go see some hockey this weekend? We're qualifying. We're qualifying. For a VGK game coming up, we're qualifying. Doesn't mean you uh, win the tickets. We are qualifying. So here's the deal. We'll do caller 11, 364-1100, You will qualify for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the Golden Knights and the Avalanche on Sunday at the Fortress. That's the Sunday game. You qualify for that. But each qualifier gets a VGK hat and a two-foot sub from Horde of Subs. We'll be announcing the winner on Friday at 5 o'clock, caller 11. You're in the running to win tickets for the Golden Knights and Avalanche on Sunday at T-Mobile. In the meantime, you get a cool Golden Knights hat and a two-foot sub from Porter Subs, 364-1100. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Yeah, live here at uh, Battleborn Broadcast Studios. Justin Watkins is back. You've been traveling. We missed you. You were just telling me the story uh, during the break leading up that you uh, did some RVing, which I'm so jealous of. So jealous of, but one thing that did turn me off, there is a governor on those giant RVs. I don't know if I could do an entire trip doing like 70. 75, that was the governor. I, I pegged it the whole way, but uh, it, it's not too bad. I, I just visited my brother in Denver, um, and um, because of what happened in Game 7, which was the first home playoff game I've ever missed in Golden Knights history, but then I was at Game 1 in Ball Arena in Denver, and I wish I, obviously I wish I would inverse those two and had been here for game seven and was not there for game one. Right. I will get to uh, VGK here in just a little bit is uh, Justin's a big golden Knights fan and a pretty good analyst, pretty good analyst when it comes to the NHL and the golden Knights. When will we get the opportunity to, well, let's say this fans in general need to calm down, right? Yeah. NBA fans, another story we got to get to out of control. How about throwing down an edible, Smoking some flour nearby the fortress and just being able to walk over and be nice and calm, enthusiastic, but calm. Where are we on the lounges? Where so, are we on the cannabis lounges? <clears throat> the cannabis lounges, which uh, the bill sponsor was Steve Yeager from my office, actually. Yeah. So uh, it, why he's eating all those donuts all the time, <laughs> right? He's a sponsor. He's not a heavy user. 
Get that clear. <laughs> and uh, it made it past the the last day of the legislature was on Monday night, and uh, they midnight, and they got it through. It passed, so it's awaiting the governor's signature. All indications are the governor will sign the sign the bill into law. Um, so yeah, expect those up this year. Why do you think? Why do you think this is important? I know you've. I think it's been a safety a, issue. Yeah. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think that uh, I've always said this: uh, a regulated market is better than a black market, and you know, having places to to consume this stuff safely is better than whatever they're going to do. I mean. They're not going to always just take it and, you know, especially tourists are not going to take it and go somewhere that that's legal no, to use I mean, it. They're going to use you, it in the hotel rooms. You, you go into the hotels, the, the, you know, the hotel often reeks, the hallways reek of weed, which it doesn't it doesn't kill me. Uh, but the other one is there's a bunch of jerk offs hanging out, hanging out in garages, loitering like and I'm not saying that that weed, uh, you know, smoking weed leads to that stuff. But when it's, it's almost like it's legal, but then we're going to criminalize it to actually use it. So then you have to go into the dark corners of the of the strip. This is stupid. Yeah. And I actually think it has contributed to making some, you know, sort of dark corners of the strip that didn't really used to be dark corners of the strip. And so, um, you know, I'm a big advocate of, of doing this. Um, you know, I, I don't use it recreationally, medicinally or otherwise. Uh, but again, I think it's important that we have laws in place and, and enable this to be done in a safe manner, have the taxes um, used towards education as they are. Um, and you know what? I think this will help our economic recovery. I think we're on the right path anyway, uh, economically, but this makes sense on so many different levels. Um, and, and so I'm glad I'm glad it's moving forward. I'm glad it's getting done. And uh, I, I think, you know, you're going to see several of these up and running before the end of the year. Important story in sports. We stay on drugs. And as President Trump called the horse, Medina Spirit, the one that won the Kentucky Derby, uh, DJT called the horse a junkie. Okay. Uh, the junkies second test, you know, they're like, hey, let's make sure this is all good to go. Positive again. This horse has a real issue. Now, it's not the horse. It's freaking, it's, it's Bob Baffert, right? Right. So we just got news that came down on Bob Baffert about suspension. So we'll get to that in a second. There's actually a lawsuit. A bunch of betters got together at, from the Kentucky Derby. And I, I was thinking of this too. Like, wait, the guy said that the horse wasn't on drugs and admitted, oh, he was on drugs. Like, what? Like, I want to cash my ticket. What's going on here? Like, I, I lost because you're cheating. And in, 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 the, uh, in this lawsuit, uh, words like racketeering are mentioned. We got a shot? No, zero come shot. On, come on. Zero shot. It's a terrible lawsuit. I think it's terrible on its face. You know, this is just my opinion. But one of the things they say is that he's a, a persistent and consist, consistent cheater, right? Well, if he is so consistent with it, then you as a better should factor that into your bets. If you know he's the cheater, bet for him, I guess. But but saying that the betters are that that Bob Baffert or the Horse Racing Association owe a duty to the betters to ensure to uh, take him out of the sport because he has had past infractions for the benefit of the betters. I, I think just completely misses the state the status of the law uh, in the United States. The they don't owe any duty to anybody. Now it may be different if the horse racing association was actually providing information to the betters and they were the house 
uh, and they were had the ability to affect the betting, maybe you could get there. You you could come up with a conspiracy as to why they tried to enrich themselves. Um, they allowed the cheating because the money was going one direction, and they needed Baffert to win. But that's just not the case here. There is no they don't they don't have any obligation to the betters whatsoever, and neither does Baffert. So I would expect that this case is going to get thrown out. Uh, Baffert now in the last couple of hours has been suspended by Churchill Downs for two years. Two years. Yep. Is he going to fight it? Is probably. Case here? Probably. He's probably going to fight it. I mean, his whole case, I've learned a little bit about this as I'm reading these articles. His whole case is that they had this salve that was was for an irritation to the horse's skin. And it was a topical solution, and it was contaminated, and that they can prove that it was contaminated, that they can... They have asked that the the urine samples be sent to a different laboratory that will test for these other ingredients uh, of of this ointment, and that they can prove that the contamination came from the ointment. And their position is that the the ban of that substance has to do with how it is injected into a horse's joint, not with the substance itself. So that if they could show it came from the ointment rather than an injection, then in the spirit of the rule, they did not violate it. While they may still keep the disqualification, maybe that may be a basis to, to, to remove the ban. But the ban is specific to Churchill Downs, right? And New York. Um, so that's, that's the only th two things I've heard about. Um, they can, they don't, they can make whatever rules they want, right? They can ban them for any reason they want. They don't have to adhere to any sort of protocol. Um, so, uh, but that's, I, I assume he's going to fight it. And, and they've already sort of led us into to what their arguments are going to be. Justin Watkins, our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider is here with us. We're live at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Horse racing is tough at times on its participants. The NBA with its fans I don't know. We'll examine that next. I wonder legally what these teams, what the NBA can do to these fans who are completely out of control. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts. Only on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, so let's get into what's happened so far with the Vegas Golden Knights. First of all, Ryan Reeves and the incident and the penalty. Your opinion? I thought it was excessive. I thought we uh, the I thought the suspension was pretty light, considering the omissions that were being made. Uh, I think that it seemed to be it seemed to be an organized, consistent effort to go after. Uh, Graves, and um, I do think that Graves probably could have avoided it if he would have answered for his hit, but clearly he was unwilling to answer for his hit and fight, and they made a point in the third period of a blowout game to go after him with person after person, and I think Reeves went too far. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. I think if you think that he didn't go too far, um, it, it did not look super bad to me in person when I was there, but when you read the report about how he ripped hair out, slam his face down and put his knee on his head that's it's i mean that's as bad as i've heard um since i've been watching i thought it was actually potentially worse than what wilson did to uh panarin 
What about people who say that Reeves should be done for the playoffs? The opposite side of that, saying, hey, this is weak. Two games should be a lot more severe. I think that um, something in the in the realm of what Kadri got with eight games is what I was expecting. Um, but Kadri had a, a more substantial history in a, of doing suspendable acts in the playoffs. It was, it was his third time in the playoffs being suspended for multiple games. So the past history comes into play. Reeves was suspended once before in the playoffs yeah. for a single game. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to hurt us today. I think it. I'm bullish on the Golden Knights tonight. Oh, you are? I think they're going to win tonight. I feel like you're the only one. I know. Me too. I mean, around the country, people yeah. are like, and, and even, you know, people who cover have covered this scene are like, I don't see how they can win the series. Like, they they were more than competitive with them during the regular season. It was freaking nip and tuck. It came down to a Monday game where they ran out of players. What do you mean they can't compete? Right. I agree with that. And, and I would say, you know, Mark Andre Fleury seems to be in their head a little bit. If you do any Denver uh, sports media following, they the one consistent message is we've only been shut out twice, both times by Mark Andre Fleury. He has the style of goaltending that affects how we play the game, which is this open style, breakaway style. He's better on breakaways. You know, I will say the fans in Denver were awesome when I was at the arena. Nobody was rude. Nobody, like, it was completely different than my you, experience in by, D.C. By, by the way, you stayed the whole time? Uh, no. The nine <laughs> minute, after the nine-minute, well, I would have absolutely stayed the whole time, that but was I was rough. driving 14 hours the next day yeah, back, yeah. and once they get the nine-minute from Reeves, then, then I left. But the fans were awesome, and consistently, before the game started, as we were walking in, they're like, why aren't they starting Flurry? Like, this is a gift. Um, I agreed with the move to start Leonard. I thought it was the right move. I think getting blown out in game one was was better than if we lost a game, you know, three to one in or you know, three to two in overtime or or a low scoring heartbreaker. Um, you know, I think that Florida is re- going to be rested. The players are going to be rested. They had a lot of travel, a lot of games in a, a short period of time. Um, I think the recency bias is is a little bit out of whack. You know, we shut them out twice. Uh, we held them to under three goals four times in eight games you know it's not this juggernaut that we can't compete with so i i think gold knights win tonight we're rolling video right now on uh, espn las vegas facebook facebook steve cofield twitter also up on youtube uh, steven on the video you can get in and, and chat with us as well ask questions of justin when we do the uh, the video he was just making a comment that uh he had seen a line uh knights by two tonight you know they went by two yeah it's plus 400 so plus 170 to win the game you think they could blow them out? I put I put a hundred bucks on the Golden Knights to win, but I did not go with the plus four hundred, plus two goals. I All did right. not I did not go that way. I bet the series yesterday. I bet them at plus three fifty, which I thought was kind of for a for cra- Game Seven. <laughs> no, no, the series. Oh, just the series. They at have all. to win yeah, the series. Yeah. They were plus three fifty yesterday yeah. after going into the series at like you know whatever plus one seventy plus one sixty. That much of an adjustment? Yeah. I agree with you. This I mean, after after watching that game, you know what was funny is like I took my brother and he's, you know, he moved away before he born and raised here, but he moved away before the Golden Knights came to town, and he'd come to one Golden Knights game, but that that's the only hockey he'd ever watched. And I convinced him like, dude, these are the two best teams. You're gonna want to go to this game. Come to this game with me. He's like, all right, but I'm gonna wear Avalanche stuff, right? And I said, okay, cool. And I said, you're you know, we're sitting on the Colorado shoot twice side. You're gonna see a lot of shots and. <laughs> It was the worst. Like, you know, he's cheering like he's been a fan for his whole life. Like, they just keep scoring. This is so easy. And I'm like, that, <laughs> it's, I just don't think, oh I God. think that 
when you saw that performance, it's hard to think of how that we could be that Golden Knights could be competitive. And I watched every one of the other games. We do have the number one defense in the league. Yes, they have the you know top offense, but we can be competitive, and I think we will be competitive. And I think uh, I, I think now's the time to bet it. So yeah, I probably should bet the series too. I was thinking they had the Golden Knights in seven as I think a plus four fifty. That's that's not a bad bet either. June first is here and gone. Yep. Right. No distancing. No masks for those who are fully vaccinated. I saw the note today that tickets were on sale this morning for the games at the Fortress in game three and four. Fully vaccinated fans in attendance for those games will not have to wear face covering. Why are we making anyone wear face covering anymore? And I mean, really, with the fully vaccinated versus not fully vaccinated, we're not policing it. What's the point? 100% agree. Is there a legal element to this for casinos, for arenas? No, legally, it doesn't, it doesn't make any distinction if you don't actually enforce it, right? Like if, if I was going to sue them on the basis that I tr- got contracted COVID at their arena because they didn't enforce a policy, then, then I'm going to be there, right? Now, if they want to make the distinction, I think that they could do it, upload your vaccination card on the, you know, this you know, email it here, whatever, and it'll come on your account and you'll get this barcode and you get in and Seems all that easy. stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's not because how do you validate those cards, right? Like, okay. I mean, who the hell knows if those are correct or not? How easy would it be to doctor it? You know, like, do you really want to get into that? Do you, I, I think from my perspective, it's well, we're, we're way past that, right? If you, if if you're vaccinated, you're not going to be the the theory is you're not going to be seriously harmed by somebody who's not vaccinated. So the people who are not vaccinated, are the ones who are taking the risk, they have the choice. They chose not to do it. Let's let's go. I mean, I'll bring and, my vaccination and, cards. And, I don't know how they're going to do it when, and, when I go to the game on, on Friday. But uh, there's, we'll see. you don't have to fill out the, the medical form now. Either, so, uh, well, you know, this is interesting on on the whole. Hey, you know, if we wanted to police who's fully vaccinated, who's not, you know, especially on the strip corridor. We've got a, like multiple stories coming up with a, kind of a weird scenario the last six weeks or so on the strip and security on the strip and safety in rooms. Like, I, I don't think most people on the strip ever think, hey, once that door is locked, I'm good to go. But there were multiple break-ins. And I think it's all part of a big picture on the strip where maybe they weren't, you know, because they cut back on staff, they weren't, you know, ready to go like they normally were. I hope they're they're kind of getting back here. Like, again, I don't want it to be like an and-or situation, but if you tell me, you know what, hey, there's no one's going to be checking for your vaccine card at the door, but security's going to be back to normal upstairs in the rooms, and I'll take the ladder. Yeah, it should 100%. be that way, but you, you, they they got to fix the ladder from a, a re- reputation standpoint. We're open now, and people are coming. Yeah. The last thing you want is this word going out because it's. I see these stories on you know other areas in the region on their TV station saying basically suggesting, hey, Vegas rooms aren't safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, amen to that. Like, yeah, I don't want hotel security or metropolitan police out there doing mask enforcement or vaccination card enforcement when. It is anecdotal. It's only my personal experience. But in the few times that I've gone down to the strip in the last six months, to me, it is noticeably different. And I'll just say my perception is I don't have any facts to back this up. My perception is it seems less safe. It does not seem like a place I want to take my kids. I take them down to the Golden Knights game and I stay in the park area only. I don't go out, especially across 
the strip over there on the other side, a little rough for me. And it, and I just don't remember it being that way, uh, growing up, you know, and I, I certainly don't remember it that way in the last couple of years. Uh, but now it's not uncommon to see fights, not uncommon to see a little agitation, a little buildup, little drugs, you know, all those things. Oh, uh, we got some more COVID questions in our chat. So we'll get to those on the way back. We got questions from, uh, Poppy El Guapo. Also, Mr. G has a question. So a little more Justin Watkins, our legal insider here on a Wednesday as we're live at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Barely get to all of our stuff. Uh, Justin is here. Uh, let's close strong. Lots of stuff to hit, including the NBA. So the fans, we saw the last week and a half. I don't know what's going on with the NBA fans. It's not all of them. It's a couple of morons, although I'll say you know, most of the MSG crowd were morons chanting uh, at Trey Young about him balding and uh, you know, F him. But you can see, you know, there was a spitting incident there. Uh, fans ran on the court in Washington. You had a Philly fan throwing popcorn on Russ Westbrook. Boston fans responded to Kyrie Irving, who said, you know, calm down, stop with the subtle racism. One of the fans, a 21-year-old, threw a bottle at Kyrie Irving. He was in court. Ordered to stay away from the arena. That'll fix it. That's not all. I mean, he pleaded not guilty, and they're going to move It's still forward. ongoing, but is he right. going to serve jail time? Is there going to be a fine? Like, Because we've talked about this forever. Right. I don't know that anything you do to do a fan like this is truly preventative, but how do you send a message? And then, like, what's too much? What's At that point, you're like, all right, are we taxing the the our, our system by going, uh, you know what, you get two years in jail? Oh, he's certainly not going to get two years in jail, but I'm not 100% convinced that he won't get – a punishment and it may involve a short little time, a little short little stint in jail. Uh, I think that's probably unlikely. I think some probation and fines and that kind of stuff, community service will likely come into play, but I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure about that. We'll see. I mean, the DA implied that she could go with a hate crime on this saying it's not lost on me. You know, she said this in, in court, it's not lost on me that this is a sport predominantly of black men and that we have a white male uh, who's throwing this bottle at the player, that's not enough. That's clearly not enough for a hate crime, which is why they didn't if pursue he, it. If but had, depending if, on what he says. If he had said something, yeah, and they have proof of him saying something. Exactly. Well, exactly. So there's the investigations ongoing. Clearly, just the fact of there were two races is insufficient for a hate crime. But she implied that... I think it's based on some of the comments that led up to that game um, that maybe there's something there and they're certainly going to investigate it. If it gets ex ex enhanced due to a hate crime, then yeah, probably jail time. But we're way far away evidentiary uh, from an evidentiary standpoint to that point. So um, I think he's at this point probably facing some some fines, some probation, maybe community service. It's not just sports. You know, people are coming out of their cages and literally acting like animals, acting like they were in cages. We weren't in cages. Calm down. Flights, airlines, come on. A woman the other day belted a flight attendant and knocked out two of her teeth. I mean, 
how serious do we get there? And then here's the thing. Now the airlines are like, all right, we got to try to curb this. So the rest of us pay a penalty. Not that I'm a giant drinker on flights, but if I want to freaking throw down seven mini bottles, now they're not even available. Right. So that's how they're going to try to curb it. I'm not not mad at them, but thanks. Thanks for ruining it for the rest of us. Uh, That's how it's going to go across the board, right? Like you're going to start seeing NBA games, you know, if this continues with what, some plexiglass up or something, some divider? I've been thinking that the whole time. Or, hey, the best seats in the house, they're all going to get pushed back. Yep. Just because we've got, you know, some morons spitting on Trey Young. Thanks a lot. Yep. I I mean, (laughs) call me a conspiracy theorist or I don't don't know, but to me – I, I think it's less about spending time and, you know, coming out of our cage, quote unquote. But I, but I think the the pandemic and the lockdown and the inability to go socially interact with other people accelerated is what we saw in the social dilemma. Right. I think the amount of time people spent on social media increased significantly yep. and ever and the agitation culturally is just at an all time high from. I'm not even say both sides. All whatever, how many different sides there yeah. are, a million different sides. Yeah. Everybody's just at a fever pitch, and I think that social media and the amount of time that people have been spending on social media during lockdown is a contributing factor. But that again, I got no data to back that up. This is just my own theory. Uh, and like you said, it's it, I don't know why there has to be sides, but um, in the masking stuff and the vaccination stuff, there are sides. This can't be legal. In Florida, remember, uh, Ron DeSantis was like, no passports, no vaccine passports. Now there's a concert promoter who's like, you know what? I got a punk rock band coming up. I want to do it safely. Tickets are just $18 if you're fully vaccinated. You want to come and you're not vaccinated, 1000 a ticket. That's not legal, is it? I think it's like, I think it's legal. Really? I think you could do that. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't know that, that Florida is the place that I would want to make that stand if I was trying to make money as a concert promoter. Like, you, you better be super popular and think you can sell all these tickets but again that you can treat people differently so long as you're not treating them differently based on being a protected class and we talked about this a million times over the last decade the protected class is gender race national origin religious affiliation sexual orientation in most cases so i could treat you differently because i think that you're too old now, there, now, age is protected, yes. but only after a certain age, and you're not up to that age yet, after yeah, the age of 65, right? So I could say, um, you know, tickets for this concert are 20 bucks if you're 20, 30 bucks if you're 30, 40 bucks if you're 40, and 50 bucks if, if you're 50 and up. Wow. I could do that. There's nothing okay. against that. Okay, so um, doing it based on vaccination, and there's, even, there's, there's reason for it, right? He's saying arguably that i'm going to be able to put on a safer show if everybody who buys a ticket can prove to me that they're vaccinated okay how about this one there's a restaurant in northern california you want to wear a mask there's a five dollar surcharge and then the guy who came up with it's like for charity are you charitable or not okay that's fine too that's legal so if you too. want to wear a mask so if you want to wear a mask there's a five dollar surcharge okay wow Interesting. I mean, it's yeah. a restaurant. How how long are you going to be wearing the mask anyway, right? Until your water comes. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I still think masks in restaurants is like the funniest thing in the world because it lasts from door to table and then it's gone and there's no way to enforce it. So I, throughout the whole time, I've always thought that that was the, the funny one to try to enforce. Yeah, we mentioned Mr. G on the chat earlier. 
because uh, we were rolling video earlier. This one for Mr. G said to ask Justin what the status of restaurants in Clark County with uh, at 100 percent capacity. So we're we're there or not. I believe we're there, right? Yeah, yeah. Southern Nevada Health Districts come in. Now, if you see mask requirements, I, I went to a place this morning. Um, they still had the sign on the door, so I went in with a mask on. I just, you know, I carried one around. Uh, when I got in, I, the staff still had masks, but nobody in line had masks, and they were still serving everybody. So I don't know if the signage is accurate, but if I see a sign on the door that says mask required, I put a mask on until I'm told otherwise. Uh, Obviously, private businesses can still make their choice. If they want to require a mask, they can. 5709000 is the number. 5709000 here at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. We're in the building. We're in their uh, beautiful podcast studios, the broadcast center. Last one, this was uh, from Papiel Guapo on our chat. He said, why would some community pools still operate under COVID guidelines when everything is open? Uh, this person says, I was told for legal reasons. I think that, that if, if the person said that, I think that's uneducated or the lawyer who's advising them is just being like ridiculously cautious having having protocol at a community pool makes zero sense from a scientific standpoint based on what we know right now and from a legal sense is completely inappropriate i mean we are still operating under the guidelines that there is um legal immunity so long as you're following CDC guidelines and there is no CDC guideline out there that I'm aware of that says people outdoors in a pool should wear masks. It, I think the opposite is true. So um, I don't understand if it was for legal reasons. I don't understand the legal reasons. I'll tell you that. Five, seven, oh, nine thousand. I'll close on this. I know you're not a big uh, chest thumper. I do have to say uh, we love Vegas. Vegas is growing. I am seeing a lot of national firms come in now into town attorneys and i'm also seeing a lot of california attorneys come into town and they're like hey nevada hometown like you guys are hometown you were here and i'm not saying like other firms don't know nevada law but it is important to be here and have experience being here and practicing the law here you know i was born and raised here i love this place you guys know that and um you know i've done my entire legal career here and it do i think it makes a difference to my clients that i've been doing this for 17 years, all in the same county, in the same state, I do think it makes a difference. Uh, I do think that that's important. And I also think it's important that after 17 years, I'm still practicing the cases. I'm not just a marketer who goes out there and then doesn't work the case up or who you don't meet with. You will meet with me. I do work cases. You know, I obviously don't work every single case that's in my firm. That's not possible. But every single person that works in this firm has been taught and trained by me and Matt, and we've done our entire legal careers, both of us for 17 years in this county, in this state. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today.